Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon. On this week's Fordham Conversations, WFUV's Ben Carrizo shares his documentary on the neurological condition known as Sensory Processing Disorder, or SPD. It's both an exploration of the condition as well as Ben's personal experience dealing with the affliction. But first we hear from WFUV's Andrew Seeger, who traveled to Morocco to look into the issue of disability. Like other developing countries, people with disabilities often struggle to find a job because of legal barriers and social stigma. Morocco is no exception. More than half of disabled Moroccans are unemployed. But that could be changing in Rabat, the capital where there's an innovative restaurant staffed entirely by Moroccans living with Down syndrome. Andrew Seeger has more. Maryam Musa places each table setting with extreme delicacy. She takes care to make sure the fork and the knife are perfectly straight, and she delivers a bread basket to every table with a beaming smile. Maryam has Down syndrome. She says, I dream of being a famous actress and singer, but I also want to be a big and successful chef. She says, I believe that step by step, I can fulfill those dreams. Miriam's worked at this restaurant in Rabat, Morocco's capital, for more than five years. She works alongside around 40 other chefs and servers with Down syndrome. Special educators teach them cooking techniques, service, and catering. The AMSAT Educational Restaurant is open for lunch and serves upwards of 40 people every day. The restaurant's wall decor and placemats are the colorful products of AMSAT's art class. Moroccan music plays in the background and on display throughout are framed pictures of smiling employees. Shelves are lined with treats from the kitchen. You can take home orange marmalade, assorted cookies, or if you're interested, some fresh crustacean oil. Visitors can watch through a huge window as the chefs with Down syndrome prepare every plate that goes out of the kitchen. The staff are among the 50,000 Moroccans living with Down syndrome. In Morocco, the legal system only provides special protections for people with physical disabilities. That's according to Mohamed Munir, who works for AMSAT. This person with Down syndrome, can, can she has possibility to have accounts in the bank? No, she, she can't. The accounts, you can't give him the accounts. If you can give him the salary, if you can use the card banker, if you can give him medical uh, covered social, all this problem, you can't find nothing in the, on the Morocco law. Munir says because of their disability, people with Down syndrome also typically struggle to work a full eight-hour workday. That means even when employers are willing to hire someone with a disability, they have to work out a special salary and an individualized schedule. And these employees typically also need extra supervision and training. Bushai Bouzakrawi, who's a psychologist for AMSAT, says these issues often contribute to the stigma around people with disabilities in the workforce. La difficulté, que he says there's still a very negative view of handicapped people, that they can't do anything. So he says there's a lot of work to do to change this view. Voilà. And he says that's exactly why they wanted to open the restaurant to the public, so Moroccans can come and see that these are real meals prepared and served by these young people. Now, AMSAT is working to draft a law that will give legal status to people with mental and developmental disabilities. Munir says that'll give him the opportunity to open bank accounts, sign contracts with employers, and get job insurance. But he says AMSAT won't stop there. Our appetite is, is big. Don't, uh, the, our, the, our dreams is the person with disability can live alone in the apartment with the couple. It's love, 
because now you can't think and love the person who does under you have a hurt she thinks she love i see him she she like girls she like boys but it's you can't now in the culture of morocco she can't go no for now it's no but in the future i am sure can can have this the restaurant was launched in 2010 with funding from the european union it began only as a training program teaching eight or nine workers to prepare moroccan staples like say chicken tagine with preserved lemons and olives that's a traditional meal cooked in a special clay pot that's native to north africa the restaurant opened its doors to the public 4 years ago now its success has inspired amsat to try and open similar facilities across the country munir says when amsat opened nearly 40 years ago this sort of progress was unimaginable because firstly 37 years ago you can't see it in the street the person with disability because all society moroccan society protects this person and don't let get him go out because it's shuma it's the family don't feel good shuma is a word in arabic that means shame moroccans use it to describe things that are socially unacceptable Now Moroccans with Down syndrome are able to find internships and even jobs at local restaurants after training for a few years at Amsat under the guidance of Hadija Sabah. She's the head chef and director of the restaurant. C'est une belle expérience. The results are magnificent, she says. It's a beautiful experience. Sabah says there have even been more exciting benefits than just helping her trainees find jobs. Employees are chosen every year to travel to France to represent Morocco in culinary competitions. Maryam was nominated to cook in the 2016 contest. She says, "When I went to do this challenge, I had a lot of self-confidence. I was surrounded by great chefs who were there to judge us and give us marks. This was a very important experience in my life." Maryam placed 4th in the competition with recipes for chicken legs, squid, and potatoes with fennel. She says she couldn't have done it without the careful instruction of her guides at Amsat. The judges applauded her independence and motivation. and she even earned style points for the presentation of her plates. Miriam says she hopes to share what she's learned at Amsat and eventually teach her own students how to cook. Aside from her dream to be an actress and a singer, she says she one day wishes to cook for people all over the world. From Rabat, I'm Andrew Seeger. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Up next, we hear Ben Carrizo's documentary Hidden in Plain Sight: Sensory Processing Disorder. A mother sees her little boy petrified by the sound of a train. When the train would pass by and the conductor would blow the horn, all the little children in the playground would run up to the fence and they would be really excited and they'd wave to the conductor. But you on the other hand, who was actually obsessed with toy trains, would stand alone far from the fence and tremble from head to toe. That's what my mother said to herself when she saw me shaking in fear. What's disconcerting to any mother is the thought, what's wrong with my son? Fun and games for one child could be a nightmare for another. This is the predicament of sensory processing disorder, which is also known as SPD, and I'm just one of possibly millions who get blinded by bright lights, distressed by screeching noises, and tormented by the rumbles of a moving train. I'm Ben Carrizo, and this is Hidden in Plain Sight: Sensory Processing Disorder. Over the next half hour, we'll meet some individuals with SPD, the occupational therapists who take care of them, and other experts to unpack this neurological disorder. 
will navigate the controversies surrounding SPD and its relationship to other afflictions, especially autism. Keep in mind, SPD is still not on the books. It's still not a distinct medical diagnosis. There's currently a fight to get SPD listed under the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it's technically non-existent in terms of its validity within the medical community. For simplicity's sake, I'll still call it a disorder, but I'd like you, the listener, to just recognize that it's not recognized. Some disorders are unknown to the general public, but they affect people all over the world. This documentary seeks to lift SPD away from the shadows. The Star Institute for Sensory Processing Disorder says SPD was first pioneered by occupational therapist and psychologist A. Jean Ayers. Formerly called sensory integration dysfunction, she referred to it as a neurological traffic jam. The research center says it's unique, it may be hereditary, and that at least 1 in 20 people of the general population are affected by it. People with SPD basically have trouble processing sensory information. It's the ones you know about. Sound, touch, vision, taste, and smell. But also the vestibular senses, which allow us to balance. And the proprioceptive senses, which give us body awareness. These get processed in the brain. Neurotypical children grow up trying out new clothes, tasting new foods, playing new sports, and listening to new songs. But some minds get too overwhelmed. A clothing tag might feel like sandpaper to a child. Or another may fear unwanted hugs from his peers around him. Or a child could be very clumsy. All of this may seem trivial, but New York City occupational therapist and author Lindsay Beals says sensitivities to things like fluorescent lights could be excruciatingly painful. First it's annoying, then it's upsetting, and then it's infuriating. And then you can also hear it. A sensitive person can hear it. There is a non-stop buzz. Sounds can be irritating, but also affect speech and auditory processing. This is especially true for people with autism. Dr. Temple Grandin is a professor of animal science at Colorado State University and autism expert. You may know her from the HBO movie titled by her name. She was one of the first people diagnosed with autism, which almost always has a sensory component. When she was a young girl, adults were basically inaudible. When I was a little child, I um, thought that grown-ups had their own foreign language because it sounded like problem was I was only hearing the vowel sounds and I was not hearing the consonant sounds. Like if you said cat, maybe I just hear ah. Language, as Dr. Grandin described, could be an issue for people with SPD, but sounds themselves could also be irritating. Silence could be a huge relief for people who are sensitive to loud noises. The level of pain varies by its pitch or loudness, so Dr. Grandin recommends a headset for particular situations. There's a few really awful places like um, public restrooms because you've got automatic flushers that you cannot control. They're unpredictable. Hand dryers don't stop when you take your hands out from under them. Unpredictable loud noises. That's the place you wear the headset. Shira Mechanic understands this well. Shira is a young entrepreneur with autism. She started a business called Fidget Club that sells sensory toys and tools. I met with her in Washington Square Park near New York University where she studies occupational therapy. Day-to-day -day activities for people with SPD could be challenging, but Shira says she's found ways around them. I've come up with like a lot of solutions, like for when I vacuum, because I'm a pretty clean person, so I have like headphones for that. I have headphones that I wear when I'm in the subway. I wear sunglasses. I have like, a compression shirt that I'll wear under my clothes sometimes, which helps me feel grounded. Fidgets are a popular item among young people to ease stress. It's a toy fad now, but some people could really use a fidget for therapeutic reasons, including people with SPD and ADHD. 
Shira says her business is a way to share her tools with the world. I started with making fidgets out of bike chains and then it kind of spiraled out from there. I made like sensory bins which were popular with um, some of the uh, younger kids and started on Etsy and then it got to a website and I really enjoy it. Sensory processing disorder could be tough to handle for both children and adults, but there are products to purchase and home remedies. When I was a little child, I was always very antsy. The playground and clatter of other kids were stressful for me, but I found a coping mechanism. My mother says swinging back and forth was therapeutic for me. You would sing, you would talk more than ever, which made me really happy because you were delayed in speaking. So to hear you speak and sing on the swing was just unbelievable for me that this movement made you do things that you never did before. It put me in a zone. Lindsay Beale says I stimulated my vestibular system, which is connected to my hearing apparatus. She says research shows that movement creates speech, so the motion of the swing had triggered a part of my brain that allowed me to speak more clearly, more precisely, and with more confidence. I was able to calm down when I walked around the kitchen table obsessively to recite memorized schoolwork, and I loved jumping on the trampoline. But my mother says whenever I was on that swing, I had laser focus. I don't know if it was because it was something that you did alone and you didn't have other kids running around next to you and screaming. You were there by yourself on the swing in the moment. My sensitivities to sound have dulled because of the occupational therapy and at-home treatments I had as a little kid. But my mother says what really helped me was music. We started giving you drum lessons and you couldn't get any louder than that. And surprisingly, you were an incredible drummer, and it helped you actually focus and desensitize you to loud noises, and also help you with sequencing, which you always had problems with. Sensory toys and home remedies help, but another option, as I mentioned, is occupational therapy. The Smile Center in New York City is an occupational therapy center for children and adults with sensory processing disorder. Occupational therapists work one-on-one -on -one with the children to desensitize them to sensory stimuli. They play in ball pits, do sports, jump on trampolines, and engage in other activities to cool stress. The center is filled with children engaged with their therapists. I witnessed one little girl play basketball while bouncing around like a frog. Therapy called the Astronaut Training Program impacts the auditory, vestibular, and visual systems by spinning the child on a board and exposing them to sounds and visuals. After spinning, eye movements are addressed in order to get better integrated. Exposing the child to various sensory input at a time is designed to get the child's brain in sync. Marcus Jaro is an occupational therapist, co-founder and clinical director of the Smile Center. He says it's not good to internalize emotional stress. As a therapist working in this world, we're surrounded by challenge and emotion. We're surrounded by parents that are like pulling their hair out at their wit's end, trying to piece together what it is that's going on with their son or daughter. Jaro sees a lot of parents worried about their children. What's challenging for parents is not only the stress of having a child with a neurological disorder, but the effect it could have on parent-child relationships. It may seem like the child is distant, but Jaro says it's really because of the child's neurological capabilities not rejection. I don't think every any kid on this planet would wake up, especially a one-year-old, you know what, guys, today, I'm just going to be a jerk and not hug you, Mom. You know, I mean, it would never happen. There isn't the awareness of anything of that nature yet, or even babies younger. He says this rejection of affection could be taxing for both the children and their families. If it's a kid that's having issues with defensiveness or whatever it may be, the burden on that kid 
the fear that kid may live with. A kid that comes in that's three years old and the mom says, I'm the only person in this world that can touch my daughter. No one can hold her. Dad can't hold her. He's been in her life as long as I have, since she was born. Grandma can't hold her. Grandpa came from Italy, can't touch her, can't hold her. So, you know, there's nothing like in that child's mind where they're purposely saying, I don't want anyone to touch me. There's a defensiveness, a fear, whatever it is, get, without getting technical to a specific, but it's just something they're not comfortable with. When Dr. Temple Grandin was young, there was no such thing as occupational therapy. So she had to come up with an innovative way to manage her sensory needs. When I was a little kid, I used to have my sister get on top of him, get on top of sofa cushions and weight it down on me. I was one of the pressure seekers. I liked the bed covers really tight on the bed, and I call it slipping into the envelope. I liked that pressure. And so I built a squeezing device I could get into that was modeled after cattle squeeze chute. According to Dr. Grandin's website, the hug box consists of two padded sideboards that are hinged at the bottom to form a V-shape. The person intending to use the machine steps into the V that's completely lined with thick foam rubber. Both sides of the body are impacted with pressure. Dr. Grandin says in her website that touch from others would cause her to stiffen or flinch, but the machine calmed her and allowed her to be touched by another person. Her website says it's beneficial for people with SPD, and now she tells me she believes in cheap and accessible sensory treatments. The way to desensitize a child is to expose them to the sensations. If it's too much, then it's better to just eliminate the stressor entirely. This is balancing a sensory diet. Dr. Grandin says children could prepare themselves by prior exposure to the irritation. I hated the school bell when it went off when I was a child. And what seems, what's really important is the kid has got to control it. So if I have an audio recording of the school bell, and then the child can turn that on and off and change the volume, he might learn to tolerate it better. The classroom could pose a number of challenges. With lots of technology, lights, and other children, schools could be hell for a child with SPD. In college, Shira Mechanic notices things in her NYU classrooms that others don't. She says professors have been accommodating, despite her likely being the only one with these issues. There was this feedback from the audio system that no one else seemed to hear that drove me absolutely up the walls. It was just horrible. And so, in the end, I ended up talking to the administration, and they ended up kind of addressing it, but I didn't realize that other people weren't hearing it. Children who are sensitive to stimuli may need to stay away from it, and then eventually understand what they could expose themselves to. Dr. Grannon says it could be as simple as changing the color of paper to make words more legible. If you don't do something about the print jiggling on the page, the kid might flunk out of school. And it would be really stupid to flunk out of school because you didn't put lavender paper in the printer and a lavender background on your computer. And for another kid, it might be light blue background or tan or gray. Under extreme stress, a child could lose control. Occupational therapist Lindsay Beale says parents need to be sure their children are getting the treatment they need. If the children experience sensory information that's uncomfortable, confusing, or painful, it could interfere with the child's life. Some parents may be thinking like, I'm not putting headphones on my child so he looks weird and everyone's looking at him like, why is he wearing headphones and what's up with, with this kid? He's so weird. What's weirder is having a meltdown because other people are singing or running out of the room screaming. A meltdown for children with SPD is called sensory overload and it happens when there's so much stress that a child just can't take it anymore and goes into a fit. It's awkward for both the children and adults, but especially painful for the children. 
Occupational therapist Marcus Jarrow illustrates what it feels like to be someone whose brain is wired differently. He says having SPD is like trying to function after an all-nighter. It's a compulsion from inside, from a nervous system wiring thing. Similar to if I kept you up all night and no coffee and created the ultimate, like, could I expect academic or attentional demands from you? And like when you're tuning out or passing out, hey, dude, come on, get with it. What's the matter with you? You're you're a bad man, you know? No, you're like, what are you, what's your potential at that moment? The ultimate in bad days happens to everyone. Sometimes it happens and we tolerate it, but other times it ruins the whole day. Having SPD can feel like the worst day every day. What could be a nuisance to some may be debilitating to others. There are some children that have such profound sound sensitivities or such profound tactile defensiveness or touch sensitivity that they're never truly comfortable and calm in a waking moment. Seeing children like this and working with them can be emotionally draining if pain is internalized. But Jaro says it's all worth it when the treatment works and he sees a parent bond with their child. The joy or the reward of seeing a mom tear up because her daughter just came in and sat on her lap or held her hand or greeted a stranger for the first time or whatever it may be. I mean, it's like those are the moments where you're just like, wow, I have the greatest job in the world. <laughs> for therapists and parents, it can be tough to witness children jump at the sound of a school bell or resent a well-intentioned hug. But it's particularly damaging to the children themselves. Social-emotional issues could arise from the child feeling different from others. While disorders of any kind are physical limitations, they also affect day-to-day -day lives. Bullying, self-esteem issues, and anxiety all create added social limitations for children with SPD. With teen angst and puberty and parental expectations, it's hard enough to grow up. Lindsay Beals says these burdens make it worse. People who are more neurotypically developing feel like I'm not like anyone else, no one understands me, I'm a freak, you know, all this stuff. And then if you actually do have some kind of neurological or physical difference, it's like, I really am different. This feeling of difference could decimate a child's reputation with themselves. Occupational therapist Marcus Jarrell says it's because children with SPD learn the word no faster than yes. It creates a self-esteem issue. It creates, I don't get any positive attention. When was the last time someone said, good job, Johnny? Because it's always, sit down, come back. No, stop it. Be quiet, Johnny. Would you sit, please? So what do you learn? You're, most humans are wired to like attention. And if you're not getting good attention, and the only attention you've learned to get is negative, then that can sort of exacerbate and create a situation of a behavioral manifestation. With these sensitivities, sensory processing disorder can affect adult relationships. People with sensory issues may be caring and loving partners, but touch sensitivities could ruin time in the bedroom. Lindsay Beals says couples should talk it out. She says conversations on sex are critical for people with SPD. I'm a super sensitive person. And I've discovered, I like to be touched like this. Can we try this? You know, how do you like to be touched? Remember, it's not all about you. If you start with the other person, how do you like to be touched? Do you like this? Do you like that? That's very helpful. Entrepreneur Shira Mechanic first learned of her SBD when her boyfriend at the time informed her of it. When I was dating a guy who was in school for occupational therapy and he learned about the sensory profile, so he brought it home and he showed it to me and I took it and then I realized like, wow, this is like exactly me. And she says experiences out with her boyfriends are a matter of explaining what's good for her. I feel like a lot of it's just 
was educating them and like explaining to them or like if I didn't like to be touched a certain way to explain to them that it's not them it's me and what they can do that's right and I feel like it's 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 more about explaining to people because people don't understand. Mechanic says her friends and professors have been accommodating to her needs. While touch sensitivities may need a conversation or two, Lindsay Beale says people with SPD could be invaluable partners. Beale says people with SPD oftentimes have great character. People with sensory issues tend to be globally sensitive, kind, giving people because they know they're experiencing the world in a more intense way. But this experience could be lonely. Sure, Mechanic is like any other 20-something-year-old. She's committed to her studies and works on her personal passion projects. But she says SPD is an isolated life. I feel like I'm never sure what experiences that I'm having are shared by the people around me. And often the things that I find distressing, other people don't even notice. So that, that feels very lonely. And these experiences are not limited to people with just SPD or autism. Sensory processing disorder can be a standalone issue but Dr. Temple Grandin says it's sometimes present in other disorders. Don't get too hung up on, on distinct boundaries in these diagnoses. A lot of it crosses over. And some of the people that get a sensory processing disorder also have some you know, social awkwardness. And then our ADHD has crossover. And that's where issues of diagnosis lie. Currently, sensory processing disorder is not listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders which is also called the DSM-5 because it's difficult to quantify. It's not as obvious as a battered eye. Someone could have a sound and taste sensitivity, but not have an auditory processing disorder. It also needs to be distinctive from autism spectrum disorder and exists in its absence. Getting an official diagnosis is essential for medical insurance. American Psychiatric Association consultant Dr. Darrell Regeer says proposals and research papers were presented in 2012. We heard from uh, a number of people, particularly uh, Lucy Miller and others in the occupational therapy world, who were saying that they were seeing lots of people who had just the sensory processing deficits and did not have the uh, persistent deficits in social communication. Dr. Lucy J. Miller is the founder of the Star Institute. That's a research center for SPD that seeks to understand the disorder while also providing treatment. OT sessions are one of the main ways to get treatment, but it could be quite expensive. The Star Center's website says treatment could cost up to $329 per session and up to $2,800 for an assessment. Costs vary because SPD is so variable. Insurance could help, but again, the disorder needs to become an official diagnosis. Dr. Miller is certain the evidence for SPD is there. We had 50 scientists in our work group studying various aspects of sensory processing, epidemiology studies, twin studies. We had psychopharmological studies. We had rat studies, monkey studies. A hundred studies have been published on this now. Dr. Regeer says the sensory processing disorder is characteristic of ASD and is not necessarily separate from autism. He says Dr. Miller's research was unable to prove physical limitations existed without the social communication deficits characteristic of autism spectrum disorder. In the experience of the committee, most of the people who had these sensory processing difficulties also had the full complement of, of autism spectrum disorder deficits. Dr. Miller believes most people who have sensory deficits don't have autism. That's what her research was trying to prove. And she's trying to pressure the American Psychiatric Association to add SPD to the DSM-5. She says the National Institute of Health is trying to move away from disorders and instead create sensory dimensions. 
Children with ADHD and autism are on some spectrum of a sensory dimension, but Dr. Miller says that's a simplistic way of handling sensory issues. In order for it to be a disorder, it has to affect quality of life. It has to affect self-care, school, work, home, those kinds of things. So I believe that there is a social component to this, but the reason we call it sensory is because it has a sensory basis. It's sensory stimuli that set the kid off. Other disorders have been added to the DSM-5, which makes Dr. Miller suspicious. She says SPD is a social disorder and a communication disorder, and that a lot of new disorders in the DSM could be replacements for SPD. They have included two new categories this year, intermittent explosive disorder and another one called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which neither one is really shown in the literature and you have to be older than six. Most of our children are less than six. I believe they put those two in to hold the place for sensory processing disorder. Miller says the research for these disorders does not compare. And there's no literature about some of these disorders. They're just, I think, their favorite terms of some of the people on the committee, and that's what gets in. Dr. Miller says the DSM might need a change. It's not as if it's a broken arm and you can diagnose it. The DSM is like a broken arm. You either have the disorder or you don't have the disorder. And that is a very simplified way of looking at whether or not the child has a problem. Dr. Daryl Regeer of the APA says he's spoken with Dr. Miller on a number of occasions before the DSM was published, while Dr. Miller says she does not recall any contact from the APA. Research was submitted in 2012, but Dr. Regeer says there was not enough time to review the newest research data before approval could happen. Currently, the APA is taking proposals and updates to the DSM-5. There has not been a submission for sensory processing disorder to date. Sensory processing disorder is new in a number of ways, previously called sensory integration dysfunction. New research keeps forming and it's slowly penetrating the public consciousness. And there still may be the possibility of getting it into the DSM-5. My experience with SPD and the others out there makes it feel very real. It could possibly be a combination of other disorders or a misdiagnosis, but only time will tell just where this may go. Sherry Mechanics says based on her fidget spinner clients, lots of people have sensory issues, whether it's an individual in OT or just a regular person living day to day. A lot of people like to fidget. A lot of people like to keep their hands busy. That's why spinners became so popular. It, even though... Perhaps my experiences are more extreme on some levels. Everyone has sensory needs and everyone has areas and situations where they find where they're uncomfortable. So I feel like it's just a matter of people recognizing that there are tools out there that they can use. And there's a plethora of tools to use, whether it's different color paper in a printer or occupational therapy or a headset or a fidget spinner. There are ways to manage our sensory systems. Perhaps all of us need to get in sync once in a while. Hidden in Plain Sight Sensory Processing Disorder is a production of WFUV News at Fordham University in New York City. It was written and produced by me, Ben Carrizo, and edited by George Bodarki. You can find an archive of this and other WFUV specials at WFUV.org. Thanks for listening. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon.